Hello and welcome to episode 82 of Glitch Report. My name is Nitwit. Thank you so much for stopping by, saying hi, kicking it with me today on the stream, the stream of dreams, the show of shows, everything in between. You can find everything that I do over at my link tree, linktree.com slash nitwit, G-N-I-T-T, W-I-T-T, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, you name it, you know it. I'm on it, maybe maybe inconsistently, but I'm I'm trying my best uh, to uh, be uh, everything everywhere all at once, just like the movie. First of all, if you've never seen that movie, uh, everything everywhere all at once, you should go watch that movie. That's a great movie. But I, I do try to be everywhere uh, all at once. It's not possible on the internet, though. It you know with you know I'm not two phone Jones or anything, but uh, you know with uh, I could I could tweet on a phone and I could upload a youtube video to youtube and i could i could do a lot of things um i just um i just can't uh drive manual that's all i can't do we got a great show for you today we're going to do things a little out of order this week because really there is a lot to get to um we got a review roundup for final fantasy 7 rebirth that is part 2 of the Final Fantasy 7 remake trilogy, even though Final Fantasy 7 is one game, they have remade it into a trilogy. Part two coming out reviews for it up now. We're going to talk about that. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, everything that Microsoft talked about in terms of the uh, Xbox games that are going to be making their way to third party uh, consoles, i.e. PlayStation and Nintendo Switch. We're going to talk Activision Blizzard games coming to Game Pass. Um, Nintendo had a Direct. We're going to talk about everything that was shown in Nintendo's uh, Direct, which was a uh, partner showcase. Got some Elden Ring news. We got some uh, game sales news. And we're going to kick things off uh, talking about Helldivers 2 and Pal World. We're going to start with, with Helldivers 2. If you have uh, had a chance to listen to last week's show, um, I kind of talked about how you know, it was almost an hour and a half, two hours into uh, Helldivers 2, and I felt like I had a pretty good understanding of the game in terms of what it is and, and how I felt about it. And I'm not going to necessarily go over again what that game is. Um, however, if you do want to get a better idea, perhaps a visual uh, representation of what that game is, there is going to be a YouTube video of some Helldivers 2 gameplay. That'll be up uh, Thursday night. T tonight is or today is Thursday. So uh, after this podcast is recorded, I'm going to go make sure that video is up on YouTube in case you want to watch it, in case you want to check it out. Um, I really kind of take you through uh, like one mission in Helldivers 2, um, as well as the progression system and the leveling system and the armory and, and all of that stuff. Um, so, so what Helldivers 2 is has not changed. I will say that they have gotten better about uh, fixing the game and updating the game. Um, it is less buggy in the sense that uh, it works a lot better than it did last week, uh, though it is definitely as buggy as before in the sense that there are continuously, uh, you know, missions involving you shooting giant alien bugs a la Star or Starship Trooper style. That hasn't changed. Here's what has changed. When I wrapped up that podcast last week, you know, my thought was, you know what? I think 
I get how like I really like Helldivers 2. I really like it. I just wish I liked it more than I was kind of anticipating. I wish I liked it more than I thought I was going to. And I kind of bounced off it. I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm, I think I'm going to I'm kind of done with Helldivers 2. It's cool. It's great. I just don't know if it's necessarily the game for me. Fast forward uh, a few days, uh, a friend texts me. He's like, yo, Nitwit, you know, I've been playing that Helldivers 2. I really, really like it. Um, and his kind of enjoyment of the game kind of got me thinking, you know what? Maybe I should give Helldivers 2 uh, more of a shot. Maybe, you know, two hours is enough to get a, a great idea of how much I enjoy the game. Uh, so on and so forth. So I've been playing more Helldivers 2. Um, at the end of the last week's show, I was at probably like an hour and a half, two hours in. Now I am closer to about six or seven hours into Helldivers 2. And uh, I can tell you that uh, seeing more of those systems start to unlock, getting access to more weapons, getting access to better, you know, artillery uh, and orbital strikes and all of that stuff, I think has really opened up the game for me in terms of, Having freedom to approach missions however I feel, whether that be a mission that I end up playing by myself because the matchmaking isn't working or whatever the case may be, or a mission where I'm playing with friends, people I know in real life, people that I'm just randomly meeting, you know, random internet strangers. Like, once you get, you know, access to stuff like the Napalm Strike, or once you get access to, um, you know, various, uh, you know, stun uh, missiles, stuff that's not necessarily killing enemies or blowing up enemies, but stunning them so that you have a, you know, a wider uh, window to shoot and kill them or whatever the case may be. I think it opens up a lot more freedom. I think getting access to uh, some of the later guns that you get uh, compared to where you start, uh, some of the armor, like I think it, it really opens up. And now I feel like the only thing that I'm kind of running up against Helldivers 2 is some of the difficulty specifically when you are facing off against the robot enemies. Those enemies um, tend to be a lot more range focused. They tend to be a lot more explosive focused. So you might be facing off against these, you know, T-1000 whatever looking motherfuckers and they have like, you know, guided rockets or, or, or drunken missiles or whatever and you know, you're just a dude, you're just a hell diver, you're just a lonely, you're just a little guy, right? And you can easily get blown to shit, or sometimes these robots have chainsaw arms and they run real fast, or whatever the case may be, compared to something like some of the, especially the early game uh, bugs in uh, Helldivers 2 that are a lot more predictable in terms of, hey, they're going to run towards you, they're creepy, they're crawly, um, though that being said, we've definitely, I've definitely run into bugs now. Alien bugs in Helldivers 2 that are armored, so I have to kind of run around them, shoot them from the rear, or they are, uh, they shoot acid, they're poisonous, they kind of have that xenomorph blood where, you know, you can be burned by the acid and things like that, so, you know, there is a lot more to Helldivers 2 than maybe the initial impression uh, leads on. My thing is that uh, I kind of underestimated that if I liked you know, the opening hours of Helldivers 2 that uh, I would probably get burnt out. And that hasn't been the case. Playing more Helldivers 2 does make me want to play more Helldivers 2. And I think that really works out in terms of how they plan on, you know, developing this game going forward. The idea being that 
Yes, they do want to, you know, fix up any server issues in terms of how many people can play online at any given time on their servers, how long it takes to matchmake with friends, how easy is it to play with PC and PlayStation 5, you know, gamers at the same time, so on and so forth. Like, I get it. They want to iron out the stability of the game, but it also seems like they want to continue to upgrade and develop that game for a long period of time already talking about hey what if we introduce another enemy faction system right they have two different types of battle passes in the game one is a free battle pass one is a paid battle pass and yes even though you can buy uh you know additional currency in the game and spend extra money in the game the uh, premium battle pass that you can spend real money on you can also unlock for free by playing through the game as well Therefore, you know, you can buy this game once and never spend any additional dollars if you don't want to. And I think that is, you know, a great sign for a game that uh, has, despite had a rock, uh, despite having a rocky launch, has really uh, maintained a lot of the players trust, interest and uh, and attention. And therefore, I think that Helldivers 2 is going to be a game that we talk about uh we might be talking about it, you know, come game of the year time, right? Come, you know, end of uh, end of the year, you know, kind of uh, wrap up talks. I think Helldivers 2 is a game that um, assuming they can, you know, f finish up and nail down those, uh, you know, technical issues that are still plaguing the game. You know, we might be talking about, oh, man, they added this, you know, this system or these upgrades or these weapons or these enemies or whatever. And uh, I think that could continue to be a game that uh, is is in a lot of people's minds for some time. A lot of people also talking about the possibility of it coming to Xbox. Keep in mind that, you know, uh, this is a PlayStation published game on both PC and. Uh, and uh, PlayStation, and I know we live in a world now where Microsoft is putting out some of their own Xbox games on PC, but with something like uh, the scenario we find ourselves, excuse me, the scenario we find ourselves in with uh, Sony kind of leading this generation. Sony has no, if I had to guess, Sony would have no interest in putting one of one of their most popular games this year on a uh, competitor's platform, even if it did uh, potentially generate an additional, you know, 30% sales or whatever the case may be. It just seems like, you know, Sony right now is, is in a position where it's like, hey, you want to play our games? buy them where we put them out and don't ask us to put them out anywhere else. That's what I was suspecting anyways. But you know what? Stranger things have happened. You know, Xbox, you just announced that Peniment, Hi-Fi Rush, Sea of Thieves and Grounded are coming to, um, you know, PlayStation and Switch in the near future. So who knows? But we have this scenario right now where like, you know, Helldivers 2, despite having a bit of a rocky launch, has maintained high player counts, high sales and high interest across the board. And I think that is just a sign of just how good that game is, just how much depth that game really does have. Again, I haven't unlocked everything. I don't have all the abilities and, and you know, firepower at my disposal. And I haven't even seen a lot of the, uh, you know, later missions in the game that do get uh, significantly harder in terms of the amount of enemies you face, the type of objectives you have to do to complete a mission. And, uh, and what types of enemies and how many enemies you're facing at any given time. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like, oh, next week I'm going to be talking all even more about Helldivers 2, this, this, and this. So like, 
I'm going to probably keep playing Helldivers 2. I decided to continue to play it and, and, and stuff like that. So, um, I don't think that's my, you know, my opinion on Helldivers 2 is going to significantly change one way or the other. I like that game. Uh, and, and I'm actually pleasantly surprised at how much I have liked it since initially dropping the game. So I'm not saying this is game of the year. I'm not saying any of that stuff. I'm just saying that like, you know, Helldivers 2 has been actually, uh, surprisingly effective in terms of maintaining my interest and uh, my desire to keep playing it despite some technical issues. Helldivers 2 is great. I also think that if you were to probably pick up Helldivers 2 in the next week or so, A, um, I don't suspect that that player count is going to shrivel up and, 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 and die anytime soon. I think people are uh, growing ever excited about the idea of playing Helldivers 2 in a state that it works with cross play and all that stuff. So even if you were to pick it up, you know, X amount of time from now, I suspect you would be able to get into a match, play with other people and continue to play it and enjoy it. No problem. Probably even have a better experience than people who got it day one, considering you won't have to go through all the bullshit of the matchmaking not working and the online server wait times and, and all that stuff. So Helldivers 2, uh, uh, a big positive for me, uh, despite some issues and I'm going to continue playing it. And if I have anything different or anything else to add, I will continue to do that uh, throughout the remainder of these Glitch Report podcasts, which for the record are not going away anytime soon. Let's talk Pal World. Pal World, a, you know, another game that like I initially kind of wrote off and then started to enjoy a lot more. One thing I'll say about Pal World that's a little bit different from Helldivers 2 is I have not had nearly as many problems with Pal World as I did Helldivers 2 from like a technical perspective, launching the game, playing with people, all that stuff. I should also mention, unlike Helldivers 2, Pal World is a game that does have multiplayer components in it that I have completely ignored. I have played 100% of Pal World by myself. And it it kind of got me thinking. I was kind of tossing and turning last night, thinking to myself, okay, we have Helldivers 2, very, very popular game, selling like hotcakes. We got Pal World. Very, very popular game, selling like hotcakes. What is the difference between these two games? Now, before people be like, oh, you idiot, one of them is a open world survival crafting RPG and the other is a science fiction multiplayer shooter. Now, I'm not talking about like the actual genres of these games. I'm saying, what is it about the release of Pal World? That is different from the release of Helldivers 2. And I'm not even talking about the scenario where Power World is available on Game Pass and is on Xbox and PC and Helldivers 2 is only available to purchase and is only available on PlayStation 5 and PC. I'm talking about Power World launching as a early access game and Helldivers 2 launching as a complete game, for lack of a better word with promises for future content upgrades and updates down the road. I don't know if we ever really defined what, you know, uh, early access typically is, but I figured we would do it right now on this podcast in the context of something like Pal World. Uh, one of the most popular examples of a uh, early access game is Baldur's Gate 3. Baldur's Gate 3 did not actually come out in 2023. It entered 1.0 full release in 2023 
But uh, Baldur's Gate 3 for years had been kicking around in an unfinished, you know, early access uh, state that people could buy on Steam um, with the promise of Larian Studios being that they would continue to update and improve the game uh, until it released at 1.0. Now you might be thinking to yourself, well, Nitwit, they have put out more updates to Baldur's Gate 3 since it launched last year in 1.0 update. So what is the difference between saying, hey, this game is unfinished and we're going to continue to work on it, a la the original release of Baldur's Gate 3 and Power World today, and something like Helldivers 2 where they're like, hey, we're going to continue to update this game and fix this game and, and, and build upon this game for years to come. What is the difference? And I think the difference is that when you say the words early access, when you put early access in front of a game's title, like with Power World and like they did with Baldur's Gate 3, I think it does set a couple of different expectations compared to something like Helldivers 2 that is not launching in early access, but still launched in a janky, buggy, broken state. And let me try to, you know, dive into what that means. I think it's more about how raw the game is and about where, what directions they could take in game development. Let me go a little bit further. So we talked about how, you know, Helldivers 2 has a uh, battle pass, a free battle pass that helps you unlock stuff and you can spend money to get a premium battle pass, or you can earn the currency to get the premium battle pass for free. Pal World does not have anything like that. There is no, uh, there's things you can upgrade and things you can do, but there is no traditional battle pass system in something like Pal World. But because it's in early access, I suspect that we could see a significant change to the game, like adding a battle pass to it. Whereas I don't think some significant and game changing updates are going to come to a game like Helldivers 2, right? Helldivers 2 has already set this expectation of what that game is and what you can expect from it going forward. Whereas with Pal World, I think there is a lot more of an opportunity with it being labeled as early access that you could change stuff on the fly. You could actually uh, put out an update that breaks the game and makes it uh, even worse just for them to fix it again and get back to what they originally intended with their updates. I think it just means that the the state of POW world is a lot more fluid and the updates and changes to it are going to be a lot more dynamic um, in terms of removing, adding, and changing. Whereas I think with something like Helldivers 2, you're most likely to see updates that change and add to the game itself versus removal of some element. So that's kind of where I interpret uh, something like early access is uh, it's going to be potentially a lot more broken, which in the case of my time with Pal World was not the case uh, compared to a finished game like Helldivers 2, where I did have uh, some technical difficulties. Um, and this idea that like, oh, maybe the price will change. Hey, we just added, you know, 30% more of the game, uh, you know, in the last six months. And now if you buy it on early access, it's gone from being $45 to $60, whatever the case may be. You know what I'm saying? So I think 
when you buy an early access game, I think you have this understanding that like it might be two years, three years from now before this game is what the developers originally intended it for it to be. Now, obviously, in order to have a successful early access release, you do need a finished enough, a polished enough version of the game to maintain people's attention and interest and satisfaction. And I think Pal World has absolutely done that. I think uh, to capture my attention and my interest for as long as Pal World has, I think is a testament to uh, what they intended to have this game be upon early access release and all of the potential that they have in terms of where they can go further. However, I do want to kind of draw this like arbitrary line in the sand for a moment. I like finishing games. I like feeling like I can walk away from a game, right? Sometimes I like feeling like I can walk away from a multiplayer game. Sometimes I want to feel like I can walk away from a single player game. Now, obviously with games that are multiplayer, they tend to feature more updates and more additions for a longer period of time, meaning that they want you to play that game for two, three, four, five, ten years, whatever the case may be. Whereas with single player games, like they only updated Assassin's Creed Valhalla for so long, right? Like they did like three years worth of updates and DLC and all that stuff. And they're like, OK, we're done. We got to make a new Assassin's Creed game now because that's the expectation. Whereas with something like Helldivers 2 or Pal World, I mean, shit, there are survival crafting RPG games that have come out way before Pal World did that are still in early access to some extent, right? And then that just goes deeper into, well, a game like Minecraft has hit a 1.0 full release and then continued to receive updates. What again, going back to what's the difference between a game that is an early access unfinished that continues to receive updates versus a game that has released in a full version and continues to receive updates. I think, you know, the difference now, at least from my interpretation in terms of. Well, results may vary greatly with something like an early access game, whereas results are going to be usually up to an industry standard when something like a Helldivers 2 uh, releases. But we saw earlier this year, you know, uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League came out, also had significant issues upon release. People couldn't play it for like six, seven hours, not necessarily up to industry standards, but also not a game that released in early access. But with that said, you know, there are a lot of games that I played in early access that I never went back to and despite enjoying my time with it. So I think one of the big problems a game like Power World may face is. Am I going to remember it six months from now? Am I going to remember it, you know, 18 months from now? Whereas with something like Helldivers, I can at least wrap my head around, OK, there is more to come and I can probably connect the dots in terms of what that is versus with power world they could they could change a lot to it to the point where i don't recognize the game anymore so when i look at my time spent with uh with power world if i load up the uh, xbox app here on my pc i'm doing this because i just want to see how much time i've currently spent in power world according to oh uh, where do they put that i've put about i put about 15 hours into power world put about 15 hours into power world um how long to beat uh, the how long to beat uh, times are pretty useless because 
six months from now, it could be a completely different thing. Uh, but I don't know how much time I'm going to continue to spend with, with Power World because I don't know if it's worth playing it in the current state that it's in or waiting to see if something changes in the next 12 to 18 months. See what I'm getting at? And again, I think that can be the risk versus reward of something like Power World or of an early access game, excuse me, not just Power World, but an early access games in general is, do you want to feel like you're getting in on the ground floor on something that could be, uh, you know, you know, a, you know, these early access games, often the feedback needs to get back to the developer somehow. You, as an early access player, could significantly shape the way that this game continues to update and develop over time, whereas you're not necessarily going to be changing the direction of Helldivers 2. You know, they have a pretty good idea of what it is because they feel like they've already shipped a complete game. They could walk away from it now if they wanted to, uh, and so on and so forth. So we'll see, like I fully expect to continue to play more Helldivers 2 uh, and I fully expect to play more Pal World. I just don't know how much more Pal World I want to play before I feel like I need to see something different from them. I need to see some significant changes from them because this is probably not going to be the final version of Pal World that hits a 1.0 update, even though releasing a 1.0 final version of a game is so arbitrary because even if they did put out a 1.0, they'd probably do 1.25 and 1.30 and 2.0 and all these other updates post-release. I know it might be a little bit to like kind of wrap your mind around in terms of like, well, are, are games ever done? Like, are these fucking games ever finished? Like, is Helldivers 2 actually an unfinished game because they're going to continue to put out updates? And, and I think there is a line to be drawn, especially when a game is labeled like early act, uh, a game is labeled in early access, like Power World compared to something like Helldivers 2. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to do the uh, review roundup for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Stick around. We will be right back. Welcome back to the podcast. I I am uh I'm Nitwit. That's that's me. It's a me, Nitwit. And uh we got ourselves well, we got ourselves uh you know talking about shit for game of the year and and stuff like that. I don't know. I haven't pl I haven't played the game yet, but uh sounds pretty damn impressive. The reviews for Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth that is part 2 of the Final Fantasy 7 remake trilogy is up now. That game is uh, coming out on the 29th, but reviews are hitting about a week early, but there's nothing weak about these reviews. Let me tell you right now, going over to opencritic.com, looking at these reviews, the top critic average for Final Fantasy 7, uh, uh, Final Fantasy 7 rebirth. The top critic average is 93. With 100% of critics recommending Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, which means to me anyways, that the JRPG fans are eating good this year. A lot of good JRPGs to play. Can't forget about stuff like uh, Like a Dragon, Infinite Wealth that came out earlier this year. But we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Final Fantasy. Part 2. A lot of expectations. Can they build on... You know, the the strengths of uh, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. IGN, 
uh, giving it a 9 out of 10, saying Final Fantasy VII Rebirth impressively builds off what uh, remake set in motion both as a best-in-class action RPG full of exciting challenges and an awe-inspiring recreation of a world that has meant so much to so many for so long. Eurogamer 4 out of 5 Rebirth is a playful take on an emo classic that's bloated but full of character in a bid to justify its own existence. Remember, one of the problems the Final Fantasy 7 remake had when it originally came out was that, you know, it took about as long to beat as someone, you know, kind of running through and mainlining the original Final Fantasy 7. Maybe not quite entirely, but, you know, a majority of the playtime for part one of Final Fantasy 7 uh, could uh, fit into um, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. So still seeing that uh, potentially the game is a little bloated. There is maybe too much stuff to do or too much that you're forced to do in order to see it through to the end. But let's continue. Games Radar Plus, four and a half out of five, saying Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth closely follows what Remake first outlines. What else we got here? Sort by... Sure, we'll sort by most popular. Oh, we're already doing that. Uh, Wesley LeBlanc from Game Informer, 8.5 out of 10, saying, The best of Remake exists in Rebirth, but the various open-world areas surrounding it, the parts that make Rebirth re uh, unique from its predecessor, sometimes miss the mark. Uh, Polygon does not put scores on their reviews, but Polygon wrote... Rebirth is worth your time, but I'm not sure if it's worth as much of your time as it asks for. It's a game that does many things right and does right by its weighty legacy. But it also makes it clear that for the future final installment, Square Enix should reconsider how necessary it is for these games to be so big. GameSpot 8 out of 10 Rebirth keeps its narrative focus on characters while bringing a new dimension to combat but it stumbles in pivotal moments. And finally, Kotaku. Kotaku, uh, just like with Polygon, no scores on the review. However, they wrote, Rebirth is sure to be a more divisive and debated game than Remake was. But in this deep sea of an RPG, I was thrilled by the action and the tactics, brought to emotional highs and lows through its characters, and found myself with an even greater love of Final Fantasy VII, the original and this return than I thought was possible. So when I when I hear that, to me it sounds pretty much in line with with how I felt about uh, Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake Part One. Now you might be thinking, well, Nitwit, like, do you want more of that? And and yes, the answer is I do want I do want more Final Fantasy VII Remake. Would I prefer it if it was a little different, a little bit leaner, a little bit less bloated? Yeah. But I just can't imagine a scenario where they didn't already have these three games planned out pretty much to a T prior to the release of the first game, meaning that we're going to see a lot of the same stuff even if the the story and the characters continue to progress and develop over time. This is what I think anyway. So here's what I'm going to say. 
if you have not played Final Fantasy 7 Remake, go play that game. That is a fantastic game. Even if you don't know shit about shit, when it comes to Final Fantasy 7, Final Fantasy in general, it is a fantastic game. And perhaps, perhaps it's a scenario where this is actually better for Final Fantasy uh, newcomers, right? People who don't know that you are jumping through a lot more hoops that there's a lot more that has been stretched thin in Final Fantasy VII Remake to make it a longer game. Like, if you don't know that, if you don't know where the seams have been kind of manipulated to make it a longer game than it needs to be, perhaps you'll end up enjoying Final Fantasy VII Remake and Rebirth a lot more. I'm still really excited for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth and the remainder of the trilogy, but I gotta wait till it comes out on PC. But uh, to me, this sounds like pretty much everything that I want from Final Fantasy 7 Remake, uh, a remake follow-up, except again, you know, I just, I don't need it to be a 30 plus hour experience if it could be a 20 plus hour experience or however long it ends up being, right? Some people uh, end up putting in far more time into it. If I go to Steam, uh, the Steam uh, listings right now, and I look up my time spent playing, Final Fantasy VII uh, Remake, I can tell you right now that it ended up taking me about... Took me about 33 hours. And that was me finishing uh, both the main story and the uh, uh, DLC that they added to the game as well. So results may vary in terms of how long it takes. My understanding is, is that if I go to uh, howlongtobeat.com uh, right now, and I type in Final Fantasy 7, 7 Remake, my understanding is I might have actually gotten through Final Fantasy 7 Remake a little bit faster than some folks, yeah. Um, you know, the average uh, time it takes is closer to 30 to 40 hours for uh, Final Fantasy 7 Remake. Again, I just felt that, like, that additional content was not worth seeing through uh, to the same degree as the main story, but if you like the side content, awesome more power to you uh and it seems like again the final fantasy 7 rebirth going off of the reviews uh anyways definitely leaning more into that hey we got more um more content we got they, they're adding more to the game than previously imagined um uh btac ttv in the chat saying big fan of final fantasy 7 remake i like i like final fantasy 7 remake i just felt a little bloated it just was a little too thick and chunky uh for my taste that's why i ended up skipping over uh a good amount of the side content but it seems like you know if here's the thing if the content was better in my opinion in something like a final fantasy 7 rebirth then i'm all for it right i'm all i'm all for it like you know i want to go to the golden saucer i want to go to the golden saucer i want to do all of that stuff however um that's a good point. Bringing up that, like, you know, in Final Fantasy VII Remake, um, the area that you spend a majority of the time in does feel more fleshed out than the original game. That's a great point. And that's why, you know, going back to what I what I previously said was maybe Final Fantasy VII Remake uh, and the trilogy in general is an even better jumping on point for people that are new to Final Fantasy VII because they won't know they won't know, right? They won't know, like, you don't actually spend that much time in Midgar. 
you know, that you don't do, you don't spend as much time in, you know, the, the Shinra towers and all that stuff. Like, uh, then, and, and for those that like wanted to, you know, eat, sleep and breathe in it, like they give you plenty of uh, opportunity to do that, which is totally fine by me. Um, I just felt like some of the fetch quests, like some of the quests like, Oh, go here, talk to this person, go here, do this thing. It's like, ah, there's maybe it's a little runs a little thin in my opinion, but I want to go to the golden saucer. I want to ride chocobos. I want to play the boxing mini game. I want to drive the submarine under the, you know, I was going to say drive submarines under the water, but I think you already know that submarines are driven underwater. I want to do the like the the boss battles like those giant boss battles from the original game. Um, people upset. Yeah, uh, BTAC, no Vincent, no Sid. Um, so what do we got? We got Kate Sith. We got Red. Um, yeah, that's the thing is right. Like they're not even getting to we're two games now into this trilogy and they don't even have all the characters that you have come to know and love from Final Fantasy VII uh, original. So, I don't know. Like, should sh if you're a brand new Final Fantasy VII player, should you go play the, the remake first? Or should you play the original game first? I would say you're probably better off playing the remake first than you are playing the original. Uh, not because the original is bad or anything, but because it's going to be a while before you uh, get to Final Fantasy VII Rebirth Part Three, anyways. So if you played through uh, Part One and Two, and then played the original, that might not be such a bad idea. I also keep thinking that I should go back and and uh, and 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 uh, catch up on uh, the original game and, and play more of it. Oh, I never did play Crisis Core. Crisis Core is like a side story. For those that don't know, Crisis Core, Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core is like a side story thing. Uh, that actually, that's a good reminder, uh, BTAC, that I need to go play Crisis Core. Let me go add Crisis Core to my uh, wish list on Steam. It's already on my wish list. Fantastic. I will play Crisis Core when I get the chance. I'll play that remake. I'll play that remake. But yeah, like looking at OpenCritic.com and looking at the reviews for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, uh, pretty positive across the board uh, for that game. And again, a big year for JRPGs, right? We got, we're going to get, we're getting ahead of ourselves. And I know that, you know, it's not a traditional JRPG in, you know, compared to something like, like a dragon or like Final Fantasy VII, but they got, uh, you know, Elden Ring DLC coming out. Uh, Final, uh, Final Fantasy VII Rebirth uh, is uh, looking pretty great. Yakuza, or sorry, uh, Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth, a big year for JRPGs uh, in in general, and I don't think that's going to be slowing down anytime soon uh, for those that uh, need it. But like I said, I'm a PC guy, so I'm going to have to wait until Rebirth makes its way to PC. Though it does give me time to get Crisis Core in general. Uh, sorry, get Crisis Core uh, and catch up on that first. Last week, Xbox made the foolish decision to schedule their podcast just after I record my podcast, which is a damn shame as far as I'm concerned. Because as soon as I was done recording my podcast, they put up their podcast, which means I didn't ever get the chance to talk about what they would talk about on their podcast. So here we are recording a podcast, talking about a podcast and on their podcast, they announced plans to release four of their Xbox first party games 
onto multi-platform consoles, specifically PlayStation 5 and Nintendo Switch. Though who knows with the Nintendo Switch because, you know, there's always a possibility that like, you know, the shit don't come out until the Switch 2 or whatever, the, or it comes to the Switch 2 again or whatever the case may be. But here we are. When they announced it, they kind of, honestly, the content of the Xbox podcast from last week felt like a whole lot of nothing. And the reason it felt like a whole lot of nothing to me was because I am not precious about the idea of people who own PlayStation 5s getting a chance to play Grounded, Peniment, Hi-Fi Rush, or Sea of Thieves. I just don't care. More, well, actually, I would argue more people should get a chance to play those games. How about that? More people should get it. They should put fucking Halo on a PlayStation 5 for all I care. Like, just do whatever. Do whatever. Do whatever. But when they announced it originally, they didn't say which games they were, well, which games are coming. All they said were they were going to put out three games, or sorry, put out four games. Two of them were more single player titles, and two of them were more community focused multiplayer games. So, already off to a weird start where they're like not telling us everything, right? Don't know when these games are going to come to console, when these other consoles, and we don't even know necessarily what games they are. So, it took almost another week after they did the podcast to eventually put out. Uh, confirmations about what games they were and when they were coming out. So here we are now. And we had to basically wait another like five days after the podcast just to find out all the details. So here we go. I'm getting this from Video Games Chronicles. As always, shout out to Video Games Chronicles. Um, following weeks of speculation, Microsoft delivered an Xbox business update last Thursday which address claims that the company had been exploring the possibility of bringing its games to PlayStation and Switch. It confirmed plans to release four unnamed Xbox exclusives on other console platforms, which were believed to be Peniment, Hi-Fi Rush, Sea of Thieves, and Grounded. This has now been confirmed in Xbox's own words. So here's what you need to know. Peniment, which is the narrative adventure game uh, from Obsidian, is coming to PS4, PS5, Nintendo Switch, and it's out today, February 22nd. Okay? Um, Hi-Fi Rush is going to be coming to PlayStation 5 on uh, March 19th. Uh, you can pre-order the game now if you want. Grounded, which is also from Obsidian, is the co-op survival RPG... It's going to be coming to PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5, and Nintendo Switch April 16th. They will also support cross-play across Xbox, PlayStation, Nintendo Switch, and PC. And then finally, Sea of, uh, sea of Thieves, which is the open-world multiplayer pirate action-adventure game from Rare, will be coming to PlayStation 5 on April 30th and will be available to wishlist by PlayStation 5 players. Um, it's You can already do so, um, starting today. Uh, support, um, let me see here. 
there will be support for crossplay for Xbox, PlayStation, and PC players as well. See how like not super surprising any of this is, right? You have two games that benefit from having as many players as possible because they're multiplayer cooperative games. And you have two really small single player games that kind of fill unique niches uh, that allow for people to potentially get a taste of what else is out there from Xbox and Microsoft in general. As far as I'm concerned, when I look at this list of games, uh, well, I never did play much of Grounded or Sea of Thieves. Penament's probably my favorite game on that list. I would also say if you're a fan of adventure games, if you're a fan of the Telltale style adventure games, if you're fans of the more classic, you know, PC uh, adventure games, if you're cool with like, you know, reading, uh, reading in, in, in uh, adventure games without any of the, the dialogue and the voice, voice acting and stuff, I think Penament is a truly uh, wicked game. Uh, that is worth checking out. Limited Run Games also announced plans to release a physical edition of Penament for Xbox, PS5, and Switch, and physical versions of Hi-Fi Rush for Xbox and PS5. And I think that's actually perhaps the most interesting thing about this news story, is we now live in a world where physical releases of video games are presented and designed to be collector's items, right? You, you can't just walk into a store and just grab Hi-Fi Rush. You have to get the special edition or pre-order or wait for this uh, limited edition uh, physical release to come out because they primarily sell these games now as digital games, which means that you know, I think by the end of this console generation, hardly any of these games will be coming out on physical day and date with the digital release and will instead be reserved for collector's editions, limited editions, special editions, that sort of thing. Also, this just reminds me. Um, bah, 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 bah. Oh, I forgot to put a new story on this list. OK. But that wasn't the only thing that was shown at the uh, Xbox uh, podcast last week. They also talked about what the first Activision Blizzard game coming to Game Pass is going to be. And it is, to the surprise of nobody, Diablo 4. Uh, let's take a look here. Diablo 4 is going to be uh, making its way to Game Pass on March 28th. So. <laughs> BTAC TTV in chat saying Diablo 4 needs to shape up. Yeah, man. I, uh, yeah, the whole thing in it where you're like building the robot or whatever in, uh, in Diablo. I don't want to, I don't want to fucking build a robot. What's the point of build? Okay. This is going to make sense to like three people. Um, uh, the, the, the three people who are still playing Diablo 4. What is the point of making a season of building a robot and some ancient relic robot in uh, Diablo 4 if you can't even keep the robot after the season is over? What is the point? I might as well just like grind out a second, you know, character class or something because none of the shit that you do in the Diablo 4 seasons carries over to the next season. And this whole thing of like, oh, we ought to build like, what is the point? 
Like I played, I think the most time I spent with the seasonal stuff in Diablo. First of all, I should mention, I got Diablo 4 day one. I was playing it. I beat the story, all that stuff. I got like a level 70 sorcerer, whatever. Um, and I enjoyed my time with it when it originally came out. And then that seasonal stuff hit and it just fell off a cliff for, for me. I was just like, I just don't, I don't want to do any of this seasonal content. And I'll admit. I am a sucker for live service games. I am a sucker for seasonal based live service games. How many times have I been on this podcast talking about Destiny 2, playing a lot of Destiny 2, talking about, oh man, I can't wait to see what new updates they add to Helldivers 2 and all this shit. But the seasonal stuff in Diablo 4 just stinks, man. I think the most time I spent with, uh, yeah, Beyond Light, Oh man, beyond light. Let me tell you. Uh, I also don't want to play. Uh, I also don't want to play destiny two anymore because of the way Bungie uh, treated its employees as they were letting people go, which I also found uh, super, super gross. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, oh, beyond light. No, I, I like, you know what? Honestly, I kept playing destiny two up until lightfall. Like lo- they lost me at lightfall. Because Beyond Light, I I didn't mind because it kind of built up the story that I feel like they did not a bad job uh, executing on in uh, in the Witch Queen. But Lightfall is uh, Lightfall is where they lost me. So last year was probably my my last year playing uh, Destiny Two. But um, I think for me, I'm gonna be more interested in going back to Diablo Four once they put out some substantial meteor content. Um, and I'm assuming that because they're going to do, uh, you know, more releases on game pass, I'm assuming that the expansion for, I mean, would they, they, I know they don't always do DLC on game pass for free, but would they do the Diablo four expansion on game pass day and date? Because if so, that's probably a way to get me into, uh, playing that game a lot more because, even now my experience with Diablo four is not, it is not something where like I want to spend more money in that game. I would like more content that I find substantial and interesting versus, uh, some of the, uh, the weak, uh, seasonal content, but I don't know. Like the other thing is, is that like, I never even got to max level on one character in that game. I put probably 70 or whatever hours in, uh, but I don't have a max level character. Uh, because every time I started another character, I would, um, every time I started a character, I would just fuck around with the seasonal content. Then I just bounce off it. Um, but then again, why uh, I saw the story. I don't need to beat Lilith any more times. Um, BTAC TTV and chat saying, uh, put the world of Warcraft subscriptions in game pass. I would, I would be all for it. I would play. World of Warcraft to the cows came home. If that was the case, if I didn't have to pay for a World of Warcraft subscription. Uh, but yeah, to move on from this new story, uh, Diablo 4, the first game coming from Activision Blizzard to Game Pass. That is March 28th. Uh, Microsoft, wake me up when you put Call of Duty Black Ops 2 on Game Pass. Oh, did I mention there's even more Xbox news that they should uh, that they uh, they kind of covered or glazed over, depending on your, you know, your opinions on the show, uh, the podcast that they ran. With announcements that, uh, you know, four Xbox first party games are going to make their way to PlayStation and Switch. 
Xbox needed to kind of massage the egos of the fanboys out there. And they massaged their egos by saying that uh, consoles will remain the flagship experience for Xbox and the only place to play uh, and get Game Pass, right? So if you want the best Xbox experience, get an Xbox and get Game Pass. And I hate to sound like I'm doing marketing for and, and advertising for Xbox, but I 100% agree with that, right? I 100% agree. I would also add that a flagship Xbox experience can also be found on PC, right? I have Game Pass, Starfield ran about as well as it was going to at launch on my PC, Forza Horizon 5, Ray Tracing, all that stuff, Halo Infinite, all that jazz was great on PC as well. But if they're talking console fanboys, which is what I'm also talking about, then yes, if you want the best experience playing Xbox games, whether it be Peniment or Sea of Thieves or Diablo 4, I guess, for, for that matter, then yes, go buy an Xbox and go get Game Pass because it'll sure beat spending 30, 40 bucks, you know, on the next Xbox game on your PlayStation 5. It's actually one of the issues that I kind of have wanting to play PlayStation games on PC because it's like, oh, you know, if I just bought a PS5 and I got PlayStation Plus, I could play Horizon Forbidden West without needing to actually go buy the game if I wanted to. And I wonder if, if PlayStation users are going to have that experience of like, oh, I really want to play Diablo 4. Well, whatever that launched day and date. Oh, I really want to play grounded. Is it worth it to buy a, an Xbox? And again, my opinion is if you're going to play game pass, Xbox is a great experience uh, in that, in that regard. Uh, people also in chat saying um, that, uh, you know, Helldivers two should also come to uh, should, should come to Xbox. And I think, I think the time for console exclusives is dying. And I would argue that if it is a multiplayer game, if it's a game that relies on player engagement, it should be multi-platform, right? Because you best believe when Bungie puts out uh, Marathon, that's going to be a multi-platform game. How many people are going to realistically play that game on only PC and PlayStation 5? It's just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. So my only argument uh, to the chat about um, Helldivers 2 uh, coming to Xbox is Sony is in the lead. And I think Sony has proven time and time again that um, they're going to present the games the way they want to and it's their way or the highway right there is no there is no flexibility in terms of uh how sony currently produces their games in fact you have to wait over a year just to play uh you know fucking their triple a games on playstation plus right god of war ragnarok is on a playstation plus Spider-Man 2 is not on PlayStation Plus, right? The Last of Us Part 2 
is not on PlayStation Plus. The Last of Us Part 1 remake is not on PlayStation Plus. Like, you either buy their games or you don't play. And if you aren't buying games on the consoles and, and, and platforms that they put their games on, you just ain't playing them. It is that simple. And it sucks. And I wish that uh, Sony's stubbornness and hubris would get the best of them, a la when the PlayStation 3 came out. But we're not quite there yet. My hope is that by Xbox being more flexible, Xbox being hungry, that eventually that hunger and ambition turns into genuine success that helps even out this console race that we're currently find ourselves in, right? Because everybody knows that if you're a huge fan of playing video games, if you just can't, you just put that shit in my veins, you're probably going to want to get a Nintendo console because nobody does it like Nintendo. And then your choices are PC, Xbox, PlayStation, something to supplement that if you, if you, again, this is assuming you are also a Nintendo fan, right? So I don't know, man, like the more I see Xbox out there trying to make it happen in terms of multi-platform, trying to make it happen in terms of being a little more flexible it makes me wish that Sony would put even 10% of that flexibility, match 10% of that flexibility. Right? For example, I would love to collect trophies on PC. When I play God of War, when I play, and I, this is like a really small thing, I'm, I'm like, that's what I'm saying, match 10%, match 10% of that ambition and that flexibility. Let me collect trophies on PC, damn it. Let me collect PlayStation rewards. Because I'm going to go, listen, I'll tell you right now, Sony, I'm showing up day one. When Horizon Forbidden West comes out on PC, I'm there day one. Call me Fry from Futurama, shut up and take my money. But let me, let me link my PlayStation account to their PC services. That would be, that would be That'd be something. That would be something. I know people are like, come on, don't be afraid to dream a little bigger, child. But like, I don't even like none of that shit carries over right now. Also, they should put The Last of Us on PlayStation Plus, but that's a whole other that's a whole other ball of wax. And then the finally, the last thing about Xbox news is that um Xbox claims its next console generation will be the largest technical leap you will have ever seen. That was coming from President Sarah Bond. Bond. Sarah Bond. Um, says exciting uh, stuff coming out in hardware will be revealed this year. So speaking of ambition, for, for say what you will, but we're potentially looking at a scenario where Xbox puts out the next generation of consoles before Sony does. Will that mean that they go on to win the next console generation? I don't know. Does that mean that that will force Sony's hand to put out a PlayStation 6 faster than they were intending? I don't know. If Xbox Series X and S stuff is all backwards compatible then really all you're getting is faster hardware and maybe cloud computing or whatever. Now, this news also comes out with uh, some rumors and speculation 
that Sony is likely to launch a PlayStation 5 Pro this year. Now we're in a weird scenario where there's a half step upgrade for the PlayStation 5 and a whole step upgrade potentially for Xbox. It may not, you know, that that Xbox may not come out this year the same way a PS5 Pro is rumored to come out this year. But um here's the problem. I have a problem with, and I'm not picking on Sony. I'm trying not to anyways. My problem is that this console generation feels like it's barely gotten off the ground largely due to the supply chain issues when these games originally came out. But it's not just that, it's also the fact that developing games during COVID and the the ever-changing nature of uh, working from home and in-studio and all that stuff really fucked up the timeline for a lot of these games coming out and ultimately fucked up the quality of a lot of these games too, right? So, if you were to say, all right, everything carries forward, uh, you know, in terms of all your PlayStation, you know, or, well, let's not talk PlayStation. All your Xbox Series X and S games are going to carry forward. Your Game Pass, all that stuff is, we're just going to do, we're just going to try this whole console generation thing again. Brand new console. Here we go. That might actually make a little bit more sense than a half step upgrade because you're going to have a bunch of PS5 users that are pissed that Grand Theft Auto 6 looks and runs better on uh, on their on this brand new console only for a PS6 to come out two or three years down the road. I think the half step console generations suck. I think it really, really sucks. I think they need to draw a line in the sand in terms of this is how long this console generation expects to go for. This is the type of power you can expect for X amount of years. And leave it at that. If we go back to uh, what Xbox was talking about. This is what uh, Sarah Bond had to say. There's some exciting stuff coming out in hardware that we're going to share this holiday. Um... And we're also invested in the next generation roadmap, literally using the words next generation. Quote, and what we're really focused on there is delivering the largest technical leap you will have ever seen in a hardware generation, which makes it better for players and better for creators and the visions that they're building. Bond explained that hardware is still a core part of the Xbox development process because the Xbox Game Studio teams can help define the specs of the next Xbox hardware enabling them to build their games around it, which makes absolute sense. You would not, even if you're putting out, you know, games on PlayStation, you are not going to go to Naughty Dog and be like, hey guys, we're going to make an Xbox. What do you think it should be? They're not going to do that. There's value in having, uh, you know, Bethesda and Activision and Double Fine and all these other studios um, involved in, making sure that the next generation of consoles meets their needs and ambitions and ideas. Uh, quote, our developers can build the specs of our hardware and we invest to make sure when they do that the games are going to run great on our hardware. Uh, Sarah Bond said, but they're also going to be able to be accessed across any screen because of all the other investments we make. She's talking about Xbox cloud support, cloud gaming. 
So we're giving them an easy way to access as many players as possible. But again, no confirmation uh, and actually shooting down the idea that something like Game Pass would come to PlayStation and um, Nintendo. Let's go back, talk about uh, Sony expecting to launch a PlayStation 5, uh, pl uh, blah, 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 PlayStation 5 Pro console later this year. Um, this was uh, reportedly, this was an analyst uh, speaking with CNBC. Uh, saying that Sony is uh, likely to launch a refreshed version of the console in the second half of this year. Quote, there seems to be a broad consensus in the uh, consensus in the game industry that Sony is indeed preparing to launch a PS5 Pro in the second half of 2024. That coming from uh, CEO of Tokyo based uh, games consultancy uh, Catan Games that is Sir Ken Toto with that quote. And Sony will want to make sure uh, to have a great piece of hardware ready when Grand Theft Auto 6 hits in 2025, a launch that will be a shot in the arm for the entire gaming industry. Keep in mind that when we talk specs and we talk performance, Xbox Series X is a slightly more powerful console than the PS5, but I don't think it would make a difference when we're talking a game that should run perfectly on both consoles like grand theft auto six so that's kind of what we're looking at again just rumors and speculation going around that uh ps5 pro coming out this year and that uh, xbox will talk more hardware for the next generation uh later this year but we can't just ignore the house of nintendo because nintendo has some things to say as well Nintendo had a Nintendo Direct focusing on third-party um, uh, partners, which means that a lot of the games that were announced at this uh, Nintendo Direct are also coming to other consoles. So just keep in mind that like Nintendo kind of, you know, being the first to say, hey, this game exists, this game's coming out, whatever, whatever, but may not be the only place you can play those games. As we talked about, Grounded and Peniment coming to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, April 16th for Grounded and February 22nd for Peniment. So go play Peniment now. Uh, Ender Magnolia Bloom in the Mist is uh, coming summer of 2024. A Ranger, a role puzzling adventure also coming out uh, summer of 2024. They also showed off Unicorn Overlord, which is getting a demo ahead of its March 8th release. Monster Hunter Stories, uh, the 2017 Nintendo 3DS RPG spinoff of Monster Hunter is heading to Switch as well as PS4 and Steam in summer of 2024. Disney's Epic Mickey Rebrush, that is the remake or remaster. Uh, sorry, this is an enhanced remake, uh, as they put it. Um, is an enhanced remake of the 2011 Epic Mickey game. Coming in 2024, Shin Megami Tensei 5 Vengeance, uh, June 21st, coming to Nintendo Switch. This is something that I'm actually really excited about. This is something I actually need to go and actually pull the new story for Video Games Chronicles uh, because it is something that I'm really looking forward to. 
And I want to make sure that I get this right. Star Wars. Where is it? Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection. No, I'm not talking about the EA Star Wars Battlefront games. I'm talking about the LucasArts uh, Star Wars Battlefront games that originally existed on PlayStation 2 and Xbox. Here's what's going on. Star Wars Battlefront Classic Collection revealed ahead of a March release. That is the original Battlefront 1 and Battlefront 2 coming to consoles and PC March 14th. The package will include all original bonus content from the 2004 and 2005 games. It will also support cross-play for up to 64 players. The uh, original uh, single-player campaigns for both Star Wars Battlefront 1 and 2. It will also support two-player split-screen trophies and achievements and will include bonus content. For Star Wars Battlefront 1, you will also get the Jabba's Palace bonus level. For Star Wars Battlefront 2, you will also get the bonus levels Bespin Cloud City, Renvar Harbor, Renvar Citadel, and the Yavin 4 Arena. Plus, you will get the bonus heroes Asagi, Ventress, and Kit Fisto. I cannot wait. I love Star Wars. I never played Star Wars Battlefront 1, but I love me some Star Wars Battlefront 2. Can't get enough Star Wars Battlefront 2. No offense to the EA games. I know they're like technical achievements and all that stuff. Uh, but for me, uh, I cannot wait to play some classic Star Wars Battlefront 2 when that comes out March 14th. Sword Art Online Fractured Daydream. Uh, that is a 2024 game. Gundam Breaker 4, the fourth Gundam Breaker game, as one might imagine. Also 2024, Super Monkey Ball Banana Rumble. Coming to Switch June 25th. World of Goo will be a Switch exclusive, and that is coming out this May. Fantasy Life I, The Girl Who Steals Time. <laughs> I'm not making these games up. That's October 10th on Nintendo Switch. Um, another Crab's Treasure, which I'm assuming is a sequel to Crab's Treasure, though I've never played Crab's Treasure. Uh, coming out on Nintendo Switch April 25th, Penny's Big Breakaway, the throwback 3D platformer from the makers of Sonic Mania, is out now on Nintendo Switch. Suica Game Multiplayer Mode is getting an expansion. Or sorry, Suica Game is getting a multiplayer mode expansion, excuse me. Uh, Pepper Grinder, uh, March 28th, demo out today. Pocket Card Jockey Ride-On, uh, which is formerly the iOS exclusive sequel to Pocket Card Jockey, is out on Switch now. Contra Operation Galuga, March 12th, demo out now. Uh, they're putting out some rare games on Nintendo Switch. Endless Ocean Luminous is a new 30-player online multiplayer diving game, May 2nd. And that is going to do it for the Nintendo Switch Showcase. We got a lot more news to cover. I'm going to take like a two-minute break uh, for those watching live, and we'll be right back. Stick around.
Oh, just this microphone. Welcome back to Glitchport. I continue to be nitwit. I can't stop. I won't stop. We got a few bits of uh, of news to get through. I know this podcast is getting a little long, but uh, we're here for a long time and hopefully a good time. Uh, God willing, I guess. Elden Ring. One of the biggest games of all time, I would say. Would would you agree? Would you would you agree that Elden Ring is one of the biggest games of all time? Uh, I know I would. They have officially announced their first expansion coming out in June: Shadow of the Erd Tree. It's available to pre-order ahead of its uh launch June twenty-first. Of course, that's coming to PS Five, PS Four, Xbox One. Xbox Series X and S and PC. Um, there's a lot to kind of get into. It's going to be 40 bucks uh, when it comes out. And they're also going to do, they're going to re-release Elden Ring uh, with Shadow of the Erd Tree included uh, as well, if that is your thing. Um, so, hey, if you don't have Elden Ring and you're like, I want all of the Elden Ring, here you go. Um, what do we know about Shadow of the Erd Tree? A bunch of uh, story stuff I'm not going to get into because honestly, Elden Ring story is a lot to take in and I don't have enough time on this podcast to cover it. Um, but they promise new enemies, new bosses, new encounters, new story and uh, new weapons and armor and weapon skills uh, not found in the base game. And a whole new environment that is supposed to be significantly uh, uh, significantly sized for the price. I know, basically, here's the thing. I'm not, like, trying to, uh, you know, brush over the Elden Ring expansion stuff. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really not, even though I never finished Elden Ring. But the fact is, is that you already know. You already know. Unless you haven't played Elden Ring, in, in which case, maybe you don't know. But you already know if you want to play uh, and buy the Elden Ring Shadow of the Erd Tree expansion just by the fact that it exists. For me, I'm willing to go back and actually play some more Elden Ring. I might just fire back up some Elden Ring and, and play some more of it. Whether I restart the game or make a new character. However, I have no interest in buying the expansion to a game I never finished in the first place. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with the game, but obviously huge news. One of the biggest games of this console generation. Very, very exciting for folks that are into it, and there'll be a lot more to come, I'm sure, before the June 21st release. Um, BTAC TTV and chat saying, I never got past the city before the land of giants. I think you made significantly more progress <laughs> in Elden Ring than me. I think I don't I don't know what any of that means. The city before the I don't know. Uh God, I I don't think I'm I put like 20 hours into Elden Ring and I don't think I got anywhere close to I don't think I saw a city. I don't think I saw a giant. I thought listen, don't get me wrong. There's some big motherfuckers especially at the start of the game. Uh, which are really, really good for uh, farming uh, and getting souls and leveling up quickly. Especially when you get the mount and all that stuff. But uh, I don't remember a city or a land of giants. God, I'm starting to realize that 
If I only put 20 hours into Elden Ring, I basically didn't play any of Elden Ring. That's what I'm starting. I went to I went to some underground area. There's some like fucked up underground tunnels in uh in Elden Ring. Man, do I need to play some more Elden Ring? Maybe I'll install some Elden Ring. And uh God. Uh, well, I'll tell you right now, there's no need for me to buy the expansion because uh there's a lot more Elden Ring. I was okay. So I spent 20 hours in Elden Ring and I was basically in the tutorial. I did go to some other part of the map that had like, I couldn't get out. Like I basically, I found myself, I went through some portal or something and then I was in some like mines and I couldn't, I couldn't escape. So I just died. And then I was like, well, it's a good thing. I never went back there. And then I accidentally found myself back there or something. And then I died again. And Elden Ring is a fantastic game. I'm never going to finish it. I'm never. That's my promise to you. I'm never gonna I'm never gonna finish Elden Ring. I'll just keep picking at it like every six months and be like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. Now, for the record, I'm not like a complete idiot when it comes to the From Software games. I did beat uh Demon Souls. That's the only one of those games I never uh the, sorry, one of the only game of theirs I ever actually finished to completion um was Demon Souls, um, which is a shame that they don't um, put demon souls on PC, but that's a whole other ball of wax. Um, never did finish. I had dark souls one, never finished it. Never played dark souls two. never played dark souls three played blood bloodborne, never finished that. And, and I also played a variety of those other souls like games. Like I played, uh, the Surge 2 didn't finish that. I played through some of Lies of P, didn't finish that. I also have, oh, what the hell was that game? Woe Long, Woe Long Fallen Dynasty, never finished Woe Long Fallen Dynasty. I uh, never finished, oh my god, what the hell was that game called? The Samurai game. Ah, what was the Samurai game called? Someone in chat, help me. The, the Sam, the Neo. Never finished Neo. There are a lot of those games out there. I have Lords of the Fallen, the original one on PS4. Never finished that. So to me, it seems like my love for these games uh, never ends because I'm willing to try almost any one of them, put them in front of me, and I'll be like, oh, I'll learn how to dodge effectively and not die to the best of my ability. Though the only one of those games I ever finished was uh, Demon Souls, though I guess the... The second closest I ever came was was uh, Elden Ring, though that doesn't tell you much. Anyways, Elden Ring DLC out June 21st. Elden Ring is a fantastic game. Um, You knew this was coming. If you're familiar with the new story, you knew this was coming. Um, And if you don't know, I don't know how much of this context I can really, uh, you know, deliver in an effective way because there's a lot to go through. WWE 2K24, they announced the game, you know, they announced all the different additions to the game, their deluxe edition. Uh, If you forget, Cody Rhodes on the cover of WWE 2K24, on the deluxe edition cover of WWE 2K24, it is Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch. And on the super duper uber special edition of WWE 2K24, which they are dubbing 40 years of WrestleMania. You had a whole bunch of WWE legends on that cover uh, for the game. 
Oh no, sorry. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not Bianca Belair and and uh, Becky Lynch. Excuse me. It's Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch. Uh, WWE 2K24 Deluxe Edition. No, it is. What am I saying? What the fuck am I talking about? It's Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley. Excuse me. Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley. Sorry, Becky Lynch. Um. Anyways. Cody Rhodes on the main game, Bianca Belair and Ray Ripley on the deluxe edition, and then they had a whole bunch of wrestling legends for the 40 years of WrestleMania uh, cover. However, one such legend has been removed from the cover officially, that legend being Brock Lesnar. It's also been confirmed that Vince McMahon and Brock Lesnar will not be playable characters in WWE 2K24. The final roster for the game will feature 204 playable characters, including 70 legends um, who are wrestlers who are not currently on the roster, uh, i.e. people that died. <laughs> not me making fun of dead wrestlers. That's just typically what happens with legends is... Uh, I know they say legends never die. I know they say that. It's a very popular term. Legends never die. However, in the case of wrestlers, that is almost always the case. And they died at the age of 48. Um, but anyways, 70 legends and 8 managers. However, former WWE CEO and chairman Vince McMahon and 7-time WWE champion and 3-time WWE Universal Champion Brock Lesnar are notably absent from the list as well as absent from the cover. Lesnar had previously been depicted on the cover of the game's premium 40 years of WrestleMania edition, which featured a montage of superstars from past and present. Bianca Belair is on there. Becky Lynch is on that cover. Uh, the tribal chief Roman Reigns, Charlotte, all that stuff. Um, however, he was removed from the cover earlier this month. And this is where we got to get into the, the meat and potatoes of the story. Brock Lesnar was removed from the cover after being linked to sexual misconduct allegations against Vince McMahon. Vince McMahon quit the organization after ex-WWE employee Janelle Grant filed a lawsuit accusing him and a former executive of sexually assaulting and trafficking her to entice wrestling talent. In the suit, Grant alleged that McMahon directed her to create explicit photos for a WWE star he was trying to re-sign to the company. While not explicitly named in the complaint, people said to be familiar with the matter told the Wall Street Journal that the wrestler in question was Lesnar, who was recently removed from the mobile game WWE Supercard and who hasn't been seen on WWE TV since the lawsuit was filed. So. Again, we've kind of talked about it. I don't know what else there is to say. I am not a wrestling podcast journalist or anything like that, so I'm not going to be able to dive deeper into the allegations into the lawsuit and all of that stuff. Just know that Vince McMahon and Brock Lesnar have been accused of some fucked up dark business. 
um, that is genuinely stomach turning, uh, stomach churning to read about and learn about. And as such have been removed from the upcoming WWE 2K24 game. And that's really all I have to say about that. We have some uh, real last couple of news stories are about some sales for video games. Alan Wake 2 has sold 1.3 million copies, making it Remedy's fastest selling game to date. The studio uh, says it expects the game to have excellent long tail sales. And I suspect one of the reasons for that is because more and more people are, you know, hearing about the positive word of mouth uh, around Alan Wake 2. And honestly, I still think that you should not play Alan Wake 2 until you've played Alan Wake 1 and Control, which means that there are probably people that are getting into Alan Wake 1 and that Alan Wake 1 remake and Control before they get into Alan Wake 2. Um, so yeah, in a press release addressing the game sales performance, the studio says the game had sold 1 million units by the end of, of December and was sitting at 1.3 million units sold by the beginning of February 2024. Quote, by comparison, Alan Wake 2 sold over 50% more copies and over three times more digital copies in its first two months than Control did in its first four months. Which, keep in mind, Alan Wake 2 is a digital-only game. So, so, it was popular, but also, hey, who would have thought a digital-only game would sell three times more digital copies in a game that was also available on disc at launch. Um, Remedies uh, also noted that Control has now sold over 4 million copies since its release in 2019. Uh, Remedy says, A great game can generate excellent long tail sales, and we suspect this to be, we expect this to be the case with Alan Wake 2. Quote, we will continue promoting and supporting Alan Wake 2 and are creating two paid DLCs that will expand the story. We're also releasing updates and carrying out other activities to support the game and its community. In a separate statement, uh, Remedy CEO Taro Vertala uh, said the success of Alan Wake 2 has had a positive effect on development of its other projects due to the relocation of staff. Quote, the successful launch of Alan Wake 2 has supported our other game projects. Um, Condor, Control 2, and Max Payne 1 and 2 Remake have all increased development pace thanks to the personnel released from Alan Wake 2, and we expect these projects to, uh, to reach their next development stages during the first half of 2024. So the idea being that they were able to maintain a lot of staff uh, because of the financial success, and then, you know, keep a very small group of Alan Wake 2 developers around and let the rest of those people continue to work on Condor, Control 2, and Max Payne 1 and 2, which sounds great to me. And if you remember, Alan Wake 2 is one of the greatest games of 2023. So there's also that. Turns out a success financially and critically for Alan Wake 2. And our final news story. We talked about Pal World earlier on the show. Pal World is the biggest selling game of 2024. Has now surpassed 25 million players in its first month. 
with 15 million copies having been sold on Steam and 10 million players on Xbox. Now, the the thing I want to actually just quickly clarify um, as it relates to the um, to this news story, I pulled the wrong news story. One second here. Find it. Find the news story. Here we go. Here we go. They say 25 million players and 15 million copies sold because Xbox Game Pass gets game uh, gets Pal World for free, right? So they kind of can't assume one way or the other if those Xbox players bought the game or getting it on Game Pass. What we do know is 15 million copies sold on Steam, 25 million players in its first month, 25 million players first month. Pal World is hot, hot, hot. No signs of slowing down. I know that their concurrent player count, their maximum player count is not what it was uh, originally. That being said, 25 million players since launch is nothing to sneeze at. And I suspect that like with Helldivers 2, which chat rightfully points out is a great game. Uh, Power World is probably a game we'll be continuing to talk about well within the, the later parts of the year and will probably be in some sort of discussion around end of the year time. Well, that's it for news. We made it a bit of a longer podcast, but we got through it in the end. Um, I want to talk about me. I want to talk about what I got going on. I want to talk about what you can expect from me uh, this week and next week. One thing I want to do is uh, fire up a little bit of graphic editing software, and I want to make a traditional stream schedule, content schedule for people to see. If you don't know, I try to be live Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. As you know, we record Glitch Report live every Thursday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, with a video version and a uh, audio version available Friday mornings, whether you're on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all of that stuff. So if you miss the Twitch version, there is a full version as well the next day. But between that, I try to be live every Wednesday morning and Friday morning. And when work is flexible, shifts at work are flexible. I also try to be live on my off days when I can. So here's what you need to know. By the end of the day, Thursday, today, I will have my Helldivers 2 video up on YouTube for those that want to check out some of the gameplay, haven't had a chance to play the game themselves. Tomorrow, Friday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific time, I will be back live on Twitch and we're going to go back to playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. One thing to know about Assassin's Creed Valhalla, I talked all about how I had access to the all the DLC, all the expansions. That was because I had the... Uh, Ubisoft Uplay Premium Plus subscription when I was playing um, uh, Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. I have canceled my subscription to uh, uh, Ubisoft Premium Plus, whatever they're calling it. So it is back to playing the main game of uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which is fine because we hadn't touched any of the DLC anyways. But for those that were curious about me getting to you know, the Ragnarok and all of that stuff. I don't know if I'm going to be doing that because I don't have access to the DLC. And honestly, 
I would like to have Assassin's Creed Valhalla finished in time for uh, Horizon Forbidden West when it comes to PC. So the plan is tomorrow morning, Friday morning, 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, live on Twitch, going to be streaming some Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, as much as possible so we can get that game done in time for Horizon Forbidden West. Tomorrow morning, um, at the absolute latest, will also be when my Helldivers 2 video is out now. Uh, will be out. I was going to say out now, but it's not out now. Well, check YouTube. It'll hopefully be there. And then I'm hoping by Monday morning, I have a more traditional uh, stream schedule that you can check out on my Blue Sky, on my Instagram threads, or on my Twitter um, with uh, more consistent uh, streaming updates so that I'll probably pin that like to my Twitter or whatever. So you can see that stuff. Um, and so that you're always in the know, like my idea is to just be more consistent with this stuff. I know the podcast comes out without fail. It's always available. I don't, uh, tend to like, if I have a doctor's appointment or dentist or personal life's on fire, I do try to put that stuff on hold for Thursday so we can always do the show. So head over to my link tree, linktree.com slash nitwit. G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T to find links to my Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, Instagram threads, Blue Sky. I'm there. I'm also going to try to put out more short form content, but let's try to get this longer form content back on track with a traditional stream schedule, content schedule, and all of that stuff. Thank you so much to everybody in chat. BTAC, TTV, especially hanging out, uh, chatting it up with me. That is going to do it for episode 82 of Glitch Report. We will have more content out very, very soon. So find me wherever you want to find me. Linktree.com slash G-N-I-T-T-W-I-T-T. And if you are a regular listener to the podcast, we will see you next week. Thank you so much for watching. Happy hell diving. Happy pal worlding and happy Final Fantasy 7 remake rebirthing. If that is your thing, rebirthing. Um, yeah, people listen while at work if they can. And I appreciate it. We'll see you next time. Take it easy.